A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 130 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like a lightsaber on the belt of a Jedi, the EU guru himself, the Count of Two Continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler! Hey everybody, I guess that means I'm just hanging around. Yes? Yes? Lightsaber on the belt? <laughs> uh, though speaking of which, I must say, uh, for those of you who haven't played the X-Wing Miniatures game, you really, really should. I hadn't played it in a while since my wife and I uh, tried out the game and that sort of thing very early on. We're talking like Wave 1 era. And she got so tired of it because she's not big on miniatures games that she just suicided a couple of her ships into the edge of the play area. Like, okay, I'm done. Boom, boom, they're gone. Uh, they, they pull a porkins and just explode. Um, and I got a chance just recently, an old buddy of mine, kind of like a brother to me in a lot of ways, uh, lived with me for quite a while while I was in high school. Um, finally got a chance to come down to the Atlanta area because he was coming down for an AP economics seminar thing at the Federal Reserve in Atlanta. And we spent a couple of nights doing some matches of X-Wing. Uh, we did the first half of the Point of No Return campaign uh, from the Tantive 4 set, and we did a couple of core set games, and then we did one where it was, uh, I forget exactly what he had, but I had the Millennium Falcon out there with an A-Wing and a B-Wing just just going at it. And yeah. when you play with people who are who are familiar with the mechanics and like the miniatures game stuff, I gotta say, it's, it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. So cool little models, but a lot of fun also. So um, it's very unfortunate, I guess, but I guess this is the time to give a, a nice positive send-off to one of the best Star Wars miniature-based uh, podcasts out there. I would say the best, which is Star Wars Miniverse. They are wrapping up uh, their podcasting as we speak, I believe. So um, so long to them. It's been a great show. And uh, if you haven't tried out X-Wing, you really, really ought to. Wave 4 is on its way, and Wave 5 just got announced. Now, Fantasy Flight Games should pay me a lot of money because I'm promoting them without being paid for it. Dang. <laughs> well, speaking of stuff on the horizon, uh, I was pretty excited to see the Imperial Handbook still coming out. Um, you know, I, immediately I started asking questions like, hey, uh, is this is this still Legends or are they going with the new canon with this? And if it is Legends, is that like a sign that, you know, Legends isn't dead as we think? I mean, we may not be getting any new story content, but the fact that they're still putting things in that universe is a hopeful sign for me. I mean. You know, they, they announced that book after they'd already said they weren't going to be putting out Sword of the Jedi. So it's like, okay, if they don't want to do any kind of confusing of fans, then I would think that they wouldn't be putting this in Legends. But for all intents and purposes that I'm seeing, it's being placed in the Legends universe. Yeah, the body's dead, the fingernails or whatever it is is just still growing. <laughs> um, no, I will say, though, um, I didn't even think to mention it. I have gotten back to the YouTube video stuff. So, although from the Star Wars library is going on indefinite hiatus, 
I just put up an episode for The Last Command, and actually, right as we were getting ready to record this, I was in the process of uploading a pair of episodes, one that tells what's going on with my various projects, which if you listen to this show, you already know, but then another that is basically answering the question, what is canon? And it takes us through the evolution of the concept of canon from 1976 all the way up to now, a sense of what this new canon, D canon, store group canon, whatever is going to be, how it differentiates, tons of subtitles along the way, so there is text on the screen to help make sense of a lot of the information. It's the absolute longest episode I've ever done of that series, I believe, and hopefully will be helpful to those who are still kind of confused after the whole canon announcement back in April. You can find it on YouTube, just do a search for From the Star Wars Library, that's the series. Uh, my username on there is Chrono Radio, though usually it posts as the person's actual name now. Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we turn once again to you Beyonders. This week, your feedback is center stage. Now, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Ascensions of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, and we sort of pruned this down a little bit. There are some that we've responded to directly, some we responded to on Facebook. I'm trying to keep out any of the comments that were about, gee, what do we think might happen with canon? Because now, of course, we got the announcement. We did have a couple of emails left from late March uh, and late February that hinted on those things, but those same people had written in later with their thoughts once the announcement was made. So we figured those weren't necessary to deal with anymore. Um, so... Going forward here, we start with one coming in from Dwayne Stockton, who says, Mark and Nathan, here's a question for the next round of email answering. With Rebels just over the horizon, I was revisiting the Clone Wars. I'm sure many fans are wondering if any Clone Wars characters will make appearances in Rebels, mainly Ahsoka. I, however, would love to see and find out more on my favorite Clone Wars character, Cad Bane. I heard at one time there were talks of a Cad Bane spin-off series, but I guess nothing ever came of that. In fact, I would love to see a live-action Cad Bane on film. He was such a great villain that just oozed cool. So what about you? If you could choose one character from the Clone Wars to appear in Rebels, who would it be and why? As always, keep up the great work, and may the Force be with you both, always. Dwayne Stockton. Oh, man. If I could only pick one character. Oh, I... Gosh... It comes down to whose backstory do I desperately want more detail from? <laughs> and there are two in my sights. It's hard to decide which one I really feel I need to have. Uh, part of me wants to say it's going to be Rex. Um, you know, I, I've always wanted to know why he wasn't, you know, marching with Anakin when it was Commander Apo, who also was in the Clone Wars TV show, but never quite in charge. And then there's the fact that Rex was a captain when, you know, you had Commander Cody in charge of the other regiment. So it was like, was was Rex never actually in charge of the 501st? And Anakin was just one of those, I like to fight with the grunts kind of, kind of, you know, leaders. Uh, so, so there's that aspect, you know, I want to kind of know more about Rex. But on the other hand, though, the Ahsoka is, is the obvious bet, but I think I'm going to stick with Rex. But there is a part of me that wants to know, you know, what more does fate have for Ahsoka? Uh, but at the same time, 
I'm willing to leave Ahsoka's story be told from the Clone Wars. Whereas Rex, like, Rex didn't get a swan song, so I kind of really want to know what, what's going on with Rex and where he disappeared from. I mean, it was already like, where did he come from? What happened to Alpha? But we don't have that anymore in, in the, the story group canon going forward, that D canon I'm always talking about. So, you know, I, I'd love to know more about him in that regard. Uh, you know, where's he, where's he go? Where's he been? What's he doing? Rex, where are you, buddy? Yeah, I'd go with those same two. I think Ahsoka would be interesting to see, to see where her character goes. And, of course, it's someone that Filoni has a vested interest in. But we did kind of get a nice ending for her back with the end of Season 5. I would really like to see what happens with Rex, simply because it'd be interesting to see characters that we knew as clone troopers fighting alongside the Jedi as stormtroopers. Sort of Imperial Commando, like the Imperial Commando 501st novel, but perhaps not with circular conversations that made it kind of a pointless thing to read. In this case, give us something that really adds depth to the Rex character and sees his struggles uh, throughout the Imperial times. And it would make sense because stormtroopers are already in there. Unfortunately, uh, based on what Dave Filoni said to our own Star Wars Reports, Rebels Roundtables, Barrett Lawton, uh, when he was at WonderCon, there are no current plans, emphasis on current, to bring any Clone Wars characters into Rebels, at least not initially. So it may be a moot point overall anyway. Well, that seems like, you know, one of those things that could be a mistake. Rumor has it that they're going to be putting characters that are going to be seen in Episode 7, 8, and 9 in Rebels. Uh, one of those rumors also is Lando Calrissian might be showing up in some form or fashion, or just Billy D. Williams talking his uh, usual suave voice as a new character. We don't really know in that regard. But to me, it makes sense, though, that if you're going to be doing that, if you're going to be you know bridging across, why not use this as a perfect bridge to the Clone Wars? Grab a character or two, you know, move them in there. So so Rebels kind of stands as a, as a bridgeway from the one era to the other. I, to me, I think that's a no-brainer. I mean, I like how you put it, you know, emphasis on current. And that's that's so true from fandom standpoint. I mean, they've given us things like that where they've really hung on to that one word more than old Ben Kenobi with from a certain point of view. All right, and that brings us into uh, a next few that actually all tie at least somewhat into our Clone Wars Season 6 review that we did. Double-click, double-click. We pick up uh, with Zack. Zach says, Hey, Nathan and Mark, this is Zach. Well, I'm not going to be the guy who tells you you're wrong about the Yoda arc of Season 6. I recently had a little conversation with you, Nathan, over Facebook in which I compared Mortis with the Yoda stuff. I will say I respect your opinions on it, and yes, you do bring up some very valid points. And I do realize I'm being a bit biased. I was able to just roll with it mainly because everything felt so epic, and it felt very cinematic, like I was watching a Star Wars movie. I can go with style over substance. My comparison for this is the movie The Matrix Reloaded. The reason I love that movie is because of how expansive of the universe it is and just how pretty it was. However, there is less focus on story with that movie. It's the same case with the Yoda arc for me. The question I always ask myself is, was I entertained? I was very entertained by this arc. Feel free to disagree with me. I'm sure you guys will. But just know I respect you guys' opinions on this arc, and you're not wrong, but I still really enjoyed it. So no, it worked for me. Well, and that's the beauty of the fandom, Zach. I mean, just because we may not see it that way doesn't mean that your opinion is invalidated. I mean, you totally have a valid opinion on that. Uh, for me, though, it just it just didn't work. I, it just drew me out, like I said in the episodes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have worked, but I 
I think they, they told us too much. I mean, I, one of the things I've always respected is the fact that Lucas has held his gun with certain things like Yoda's species and things like that. Uh, but when it comes to the Force, I kind of wish he'd have played that one a little closer to the to the chest. I wish he kind of never would have gone with the whole midichlorine route. Uh, it adds too much measurable things to an immeasurable, you know, force. And I think by going forward in the way they did and, and making the midichlorians in an essence an STD that the whole galaxy contracted was kind of like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> you know, you need them for life, but, you know, they all spewed out of this one planet. So they're the maker. Oh, okay. Um, it's just one of those, the more I watch it though, the more I, I, I scratch my head as that's why I referred to it with Mortis. Those are probably the biggest arcs in the entire Clone Wars series that perplex me to the point where I, I just, my brain goes, what I just see, um, I don't know. I can't quite fathom what it is, how it goes into context with what I've known before, and then if I take what I've known before and set it off to the side moving forward, trying to, to base everything, you know, off of just that really confuses the hell out of me. And I think that's the issue I have. I, I don't mind mystery in my Star Wars, but I sure don't like being confused as hell by my Star Wars. And that's what these issues did for me. Uh, though I commend you for being able to watch them and not have that problem. I mean, when that issue happens to me, I know I'm having that issue. I'm like, oh, great. For some reason, there's a disconnect. I'm not resonating with this. Uh, I mean, take X-Men Days of Future Past. I mean, good movie. I really enjoyed it. Probably the best X-Men movie out there, but it wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be. I, I was hoping for a little better. Uh, and once I realized that I wasn't enjoying it as much as I could, that was the letdown. You know, and I think that for me, when it comes to the Yoda arc, was, was another one of those things. It was like, I didn't enjoy it as much as I felt like I should have or could have. And just by that feeling I had from watching it left me feeling like this wasn't such a good thing. Uh, so yeah, I gotta, I gotta commend you for being able to, to, to have that suspension of disbelief. I think this is one of those things where it depends on what you do when you watch it. Again, there's watching it critically, which is something that as part of Republic Forces Radio Network and now for Rebels Roundtable, we are expected to do to be able to give a valid critique that goes through and doesn't just talk about overall impressions, which we do at the beginning and the end, uh, but also goes into detail with things. Um, it, or you can watch it and do it just for the sheer entertainment value. I mean, you can do the same thing with the Star Wars films. You know, sit back and say, there shouldn't be sound in space, and so on and so forth. And wait a second, how does what Obi-Wan says in A New Hope mesh with the prequels? What? And, you know, all those types of things. Or you can just kind of roll with it. Uh, I enjoy Episode 3, and I tried to roll with it the first time that I saw it. I had the Stover novelization ideas in the back of my mind, so a lot of the things that most see as pitfalls when they watch it critically, I'm able to watch and still enjoy because I've got that background knowledge tied into it, which, of course, doesn't now apparently exist within the story group canon and such. Um, this was an arc that I really enjoyed watching it the first time. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy cool. I wonder how this fits in with everything else. And you're thinking about all the philosophical possibilities and what does this do to the origins of life in the galaxy far, far away? And what kind of information did they just give us? Oh, awesome. But then going through and watching it critically, which is a very different way of looking at it. It's, I'm fond of saying, you know, turn your brain on versus turn your brain off. Maybe that's, that's a little bit too simplistic. Uh, turning on the critical aspect. Uh, you watch it the first time just wanting to experience the ride, then you turn on the critical aspect and go back through it. It's the difference between reading a novel for fun or going back and proofreading a novel. You know, here's a, a comma splice. 
here's a capitalization that's missing. Here's an idea that wasn't quite clear. Um, they needed to expand on this and so forth. So in this case, what you've got is something that's a fun ride, but then I think you go back and you start breaking it down critically and it starts to fall apart. Um, but that is where it comes down to interpretation, right? You can interpret things one way or the other. We try to say that when we're interpreting things, we go with just what is on screen. There's a lot of, and some people call it apologists, it depends on the circumstances, of, well, Yoda shouldn't have done something because Yoda might be thinking that if he sees the future or a possible future, that if he does something now, well, see, that's what's going to lead to that possible future, so he can't act at all. But there's nothing in the films ever beyond always in motion is the future, which is kind of a cop-out, because that still assumes that things are changing, so if things are changing, then doesn't that mean you can act because... There's no guarantee that what you do now is going to influence future events if it's always morphing. Yeah, maybe you always meant to have that vision, and that vision is what spawned the action. Yeah, I mean, th that's the notion of anything having to do with prophecies, time travel, anything like that. There's that question of fatalism versus free will and the influence on future events. But to say, well, Yoda must have been thinking such and such is adding a layer of interpretation onto things. And we try to look at it from the, what did we get? And then what have we gotten as far as previous background at all? And then look into the interpretation side of things. And from what we get in the episodes, for instance, we aren't given an explanation at all as to why Qui-Gon can't teach Yoda at the beginning because his training was incomplete. He's unable and yet somehow is able to train him once the episodes are over. Nothing has apparently changed in terms of what Qui-Gon knows, only that Yoda has been found worthy. So how does Qui-Gon get the knowledge he was lacking as a means of training Yoda. If it was that Qui-Gon always had that knowledge, but had to wait for Yoda to become worthy, then either Qui-Gon was holding back information at the beginning or lying, neither of which were ever given an indication of in the episodes themselves. So it's that question of how much do you interpret, how much do you give them credit for things making sense in the minds of the writers that never actually winds up on screen. Um, so the first time is the ride when you start thinking about it critically. It's always a, a matter of how much can they fit into the time constraints of a single episode of a cartoon series. But there are sometimes pertinent issues that don't get addressed at all. Sometimes they get addressed in the episode guides on StarWars.com, but most of the time not. Um, along the same note, we have two that come in that try to uh, respond to this. And may I, I guess I should probably take a second to say... Um, one of the people who was critical about our look at the Clone Wars was that troll that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, the challenge was issued that if that troll wanted to send us something that didn't have a lot of swearing in it, that was not ad hominem attacks, that was actually making a case for his arguments, not cherry-picking one item out of a massive list of critiques, um, and actually wanted to give us a rational argument for what he's trying to say, then more power to him. But that if we got something back that was just as invective-filled, ad hominem attacks, etc., etc., like we got before, or got no response, we would assume this person simply is a troll and ignore future communications from that individual. No response was received, so you won't be hearing from them again on the show. All right, so uh, on the Clone Wars note here, we have one coming in from Forrest Bezant, who actually did a, an interview with me a while back. You can find a link to that, I believe, over on NathanPButler.com. He says, Hi, guys. I just recently heard your Clone Wars Season 6 recap. You both made some really good points on the season, and I agree with you on most of them. I would, however, like to state some thoughts regarding Nathan's points on the Yoda arc. I disagree with Nathan on a few points, but I'm not going to flame about it. Instead, 
I'll explain why I disagree. See, that's the way it's supposed to work. Nathan mentioned that despite some of the obvious clues given to Yoda regarding who the Dark Lord of the Sith is, if this arc takes place as close to Revenge of the Sith as we're led to believe it does, then I think it's safe to say that Yoda did do something to investigate Palpatine. In Revenge of the Sith, Yoda and the Jedi Council assigned Anakin to report on all of Palpatine's decisions and actions, or as Anakin basically put it, to spy on him. Yoda and the Council were suspicious of Palpatine at the time and wanted someone like Anakin to keep an eye on him. Perhaps we can consider that Yoda's idea of bringing Palpatine to justice was the complete opposite of Mace Windu's. If Yoda had been on Coruscant when Palpatine revealed himself, I don't think Yoda would have made the decision that Windu did by confronting the Chancellor in his office, because that could take him down a dark path, as he put it in Revenge of the Sith, when Ki-Adi Mundi suggested the idea of arresting the Chancellor. If Labyrinth of Evil had been official canon, that would have been good because they investigated the works on Coruscant, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the same facility that Yoda went to in his vision on Moraband. I can't defend all of the plot holes in this arc, because there are still plot holes. It was still a little ridiculous that Yoda learned at the time that there is another Skywalker. Yoda didn't need to know that early. He found out at the end of Revenge of the Sith. It just looked like the production team was trying to make as many nods to the films as possible, because this arc is frickin' crammed with them. And yes, he says frickin'. Thank you very much, Forrest. It was one of the more infuriating parts of the Clone Wars, especially when they were just not necessary. Anyway, thank you guys for the show, and may the Force be with you. Mark, can I take this one briefly first? Yes, sir. Uh, Forrest, number one, I do agree that one of the things that, that drove a lot of folks nuts with the Clone Wars was sometimes they would hit you over the head with the references. Kind of like, you know, we're going to tie this into the films to say, see guys, we saw the films too! Um, they did the same thing in a lot of the early EU stuff. I mean, the Thrawn trilogy, as highly regarded as it is, has a lot of that stuff in it. Though at the time, it didn't feel quite as as uh, overdone because, well, they were the first modern EU novels at the time. Uh, or Legends continuity novels at the time. Though I would say that you just really nailed it as far as a logical reason that we see on screen for why Yoda might not have acted on what he gets out of that last vision. Even if all he's seeing is the recognition that this is an old, crusty white dude who's Sidious, he does investigate. Um, that still leaves a lot of plot holes, especially with, you know, he's seeing a vision of Jedi fighting clones and all that sort of thing. Maybe they should look into the whole issue of the whole clone army being created by the Sith and the Order 66 stuff we got earlier in the season. Um, but at least as far as the why don't they do anything about Palpatine, you're right, if this is close enough, then maybe there's some kind of of interim investigation, or this is leading directly into Revenge of the Sith, and that is the investigation that we see. Um, an interim investigation isn't something that we ever get on screen, so we can't really take it for granted, but maybe it is close enough that the investigation that should have been launched is what we see in Revenge of the Sith. Um, might have been nice to see some kind of reference to that, but certainly logically that could follow. I, I imagine being able to see that and see that connection as well. I'm eventually going to rewatch all the Clone Wars stuff with the film, so I wonder if that's going to feel much more fluid upon seeing it that time. But I'll give you that one. I think that is a good uh, way of explaining that using what's actually on screen. Yeah, that's a brilliant twist, one I hadn't even thought of. I mean, it, it makes sense, uh, especially with what Yoda knows, you know, from Obi-Wan, you know, that there's a Sith Lord in control of the Senate. Obvious person to check out there and gee who gave you the runaround all this time i uh, back in the voices episode and stuff i mean or the lost one not voices uh you know it was palpatine i mean who better to, to put a spy on to worst case scenario you're gonna find out that there is somebody manipulating palpatine or oh my god palpatine's a sith lord oh who would have thought it i mean 
I, I think that is a great idea of, of that as added background as to why they assigned Anakin to spy. You know, the, one of the things you were talking about earlier, Nathan, was uh, how the episode uh, novelization for episode three by Stover did such a good job of, of filling in those backstories. One of those details was, you know, Anakin needed to be on the council so he could get access to holocrons that had information that could potentially save Padme. But once they brought him into the council, he was still forbidden that level of access. So he had that, you know, underlying resentment going on that, that just didn't carry over to the films but as you're watching in the films you're like oh well yeah there's that going on that's now gone so you're kind of like well man you know there, there's aspects like this like what you just pointed out that like i haven't even thought about yet still so i'm kind of wondering if there's somebody out there that's got some solutions to some of those weird don't quite line upnesses of anakin's character like why is he doing this i mean i get he wants to save his wife but why is he being such a d-bag <laughs> all right picking up with one that's a little more detailed um, one that we're probably not going to get a chance to really respond to bit by bit unless we break it into pieces, which we can here. Uh, he happens to break up his comments about it by the individual episode, The Lost One, and then by the other three kind of lumped together. Um, so this comes in from John B. Says, the Yoda arc makes perfect sense. Yeah, we're already going to disagree on this one. Uh, he breaks down the first section for The Lost One. That's the episode with uh, Sifo-Dyas and all. He gives us a few points on that one. Sidious does not have to be in control back when Valorum had power. Sidious takes advantage of events that just happened. Your fallacy is believing Sidious can succeed only through the exact events that occur. He adjusts his plan as events warrant. Two, about Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting Dooku together. It's been a while since I saw the Clone Wars episode, but I thought they got separated again. Three, Yoda obviously had to wait some time for Palpatine to be available. Palpatine might have been away. Four. These aren't numbered, so I'm just kind of like numbering as we go along. Concerning the timing of Dooku's fall, the Plagueis novel is legends and therefore irrelevant. And then, your other comments were just bitching about nothing. My powers have doubled since we last met. There aren't any timeline issues. Mark, you want to take this one first before we move on to the other episodes? Yeah, uh, you know, Anakin and Kenobi, uh, you know, fighting together. That, that one, I, I don't no, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of the context, but I'm pretty sure in episode three that they were pretty much together the entire time in that, if that's what you're talking about. Um, and then if we just go off of, you know, from the Clone Wars, you know, we have episode two, which was the first time that they really fought each other. And then the many times throughout the TV show. Uh, but I think for me that the, the most it, the, the bigger issue I have with that line, though, is that that last episode is so close to episode three. Uh, so after they get done fighting there and then Anakin's like, my powers are more than doubled since last time. Like, I, I don't know, unless they throw in a story down the road to kind of make a reason for him to say his powers have doubled that but would get into a whole other realm of things I don't think they should be messing with, like doubling up someone's power just randomly so a line would be truthful. Um, now the timing of Dooku's fall, that, you know, you could be closer to some truth there. Uh, you know, Legends has now moved over. Uh, but Again, I, I also got to point out, though, that just because it was in Legends doesn't mean that it didn't happen in Legends. And, and you know, we're a podcast that looks at both continuities, so we're still going to try to find a way to make it all fit with Legends as well. Uh, but casting that all aside, just going with the D canon and the story group canon alone, uh, I still think we have an issue there. Um, I, I still think that the details of when Dooku switched and all that kind of stuff 
you know, they're either going to have to spell it out better to give us something to kind of grip onto, or we're, we're sitting there kind of going, well, you know, what exactly happened? And I think that that's going to be a problem across the board because until we know what things are going to be carried over and what aren't, you know, looking at the films almost gets easier if you've never even watched the films or read anything before and just watch the films for the first time and then start pondering because you have nothing else to conflict with. Uh, I recognize that's going to be an issue for myself, especially moving forward. There's there's all these books and stuff and, and stories out there that are now legends, but to me, they're still Star Wars. You know, I mean, for the last 20-something years, they've been Star Wars. And just because they're legends now and exist in an alternate universe doesn't make them any less important or any less Star Wars. Uh, yeah, they might make them less canon, but Lucas has poodooed all over canon the entire 20 years. So canon, as it should exist, has never existed. So I don't see why getting hung up on whether or not it's canon or not to be Star Wars really matters. So I'm going to still look at, at legends and, you know, the stuff that we had before as a universe that existed and that had relevance. I mean, I'm not going to toss it off to the side and say, well, it doesn't count anymore just because it's not canon anymore. Uh, you know, that, that was a business decision moving forward that they could again change their minds and reboot again and again and again. And we may find this is the new Spider-Man line called Star Wars. Going back to this, this kind of is a combination of in somewhat interpretation, some of what we see on screen, and some being what Lucas himself has said about these, which is going to come up again when we look at Voices, Destiny, and Sacrifice. Um, Lucas is the one, not James Luceno in writing Darth Plagueis, which was not even the first to talk about it. Lucas is the one who said that Dooku became a Sith Lord by leaving the Jedi Order because the last straw was the death of his own Padawan, Qui-Gon Jinn. Okay? That is Lucas's information. Then again, as Mark said, Lucas changes his mind quite often. Lucas is also the one who said that when it comes to balance of the Force, it's not about balance of good versus evil, light versus dark, in terms of like a yin and yang type of balance. It's more the idea that good is natural, and evil is like a corruption, and therefore balance means good prevailing without the cancerous darkness in it. And then he completely turned around and threw that out the window from all those interviews, especially the Bill Moyers type stuff, um, the second Bill Moyers one, to then go back and say, no, it's actually more like balance and bringing the whole Mortis aspect of it. But if we're going by what Lucas has said and assuming that Lucas was telling the truth as he intended it to be, then Dooku becomes a Sith Lord after the Phantom Menace, which means by definition, that when he is that Sith Lord, unless he's a Jedi who just hates his friend, that he is arranging the death of Sifo-Dyas as a Sith Lord after the Phantom Menace, but Sifo-Dyas was on a mission sent by Supreme Chancellor Valorum, which by definition says that that mission must have been carried out prior to the end of the Phantom Menace. So, either there is a contradiction of timing, or Lucas has changed his mind and now has Dooku leaving the Jedi Order or becoming a Sith prior to the end of the Phantom Menace, which is possible. Or what we've got is a mission or a series of missions for Sifo-Dyas to go on to Felucia and eventually to Obadiah that must have carried on throughout the course of the Phantom Menace. Otherwise, it makes no sense for Valorum to be the one ordering it. And yet, Dooku to use that mission as the one in which he orders Sifo-Dyas killed if that is happening while he's a Sith Lord. Lucas himself has said it was the death of Qui-Gon. So unless Qui-Gon died twice, prior to the Phantom Menace and during it, the argument doesn't make sense that you're making here. Um, 
Secondly, as far as uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting Dooku together, another Lucasism. Lucas talks about how the line in Revenge of the Sith, this time we'll do it together, that's what I was thinking, or however he puts it, is a direct reference back to the fact that, that Anakin has learned. Because the last time they were up against each other, uh, the three of them in one place, Anakin impulsively rushed in and wound up getting zapped with Force Lightning, and it left Obi-Wan vulnerable, which then meant that Anakin had to fight him by himself after Obi-Wan was taken down. Anakin loses an arm. Okay? So the reference there is supposed to be, and Lucas does this a lot, a reference from one film to the previous one, and then Filoni and Lucas and the team behind the Clone Wars don't pay attention to those types of references. The only thing they really pay attention to in that regard, and it seems an odd thing for them to pay attention to when they ignore other things, is the idea that Anakin shouldn't spend time fighting against Grievous in the Clone Wars because Grievous and Anakin supposedly have their first meeting in Revenge of the Sith, hence the whole, you know, you're shorter than I expected type of comments and such. Um... But it's the idea that it's, you know, if I'm going into battle in Revenge of the Sith, saying, you know, this time we'll do it together, I should not be thinking back to three years ago in Attack of the Clones. I should be thinking back to the last time you were against each other. Uh, unless he's going to say, this time we will do it together, like we tried to do back on Obadiah. Because the lesson was already learned in The Lost One. They did try to do it together, it just didn't work. Just like in... Revenge of the Sith, they do try to do it together, and by the end it doesn't work because Obi-Wan separated out and, you know, he's got the stairway or the, the, the balcony thing falling on top of him. It's a reference made in a film to a film, not knowing the Clone Wars cartoon series was coming, and then once it did, it takes away some of the, the impetus or the, uh, uh, the thought process behind that line. Same thing goes with the thing you call just bitching about nothing. My powers have doubled since we last met. Again, Lucas says, I believe that's in the commentary or it's in one of the uh, the annotated things, um, that the reference there is, again, from Revenge of the Sith to Attack of the Clones, because at the time, if you were just watching the films and following that line of G-Canon, or what's now considered story group canon, whatever, um, then, of course, Anakin has had three years to become more powerful, now he's ready to face Dooku. But it's become a running joke, and that's why it was said on the show, a running joke uh, within Star Wars fandom, especially on podcasts I'm involved with, like Republic Forces Radio Network for a while, that my powers have doubled since last we met, means almost nothing, because it's supposed to be a reference from one film to the other, and yet there's all these other times where Anakin has run into and fought against Dooku. That's been a gag since all the way back in 2008 with the Clone Wars film, where Anakin and Dooku fight on Tatooine. Okay, So it's an inside kind of joke, it's just a, a fandom reference type of joke, but it also is another example of how Lucas doesn't take into account what characters say and do in his own films when he makes other ones. That's probably why there was a lot of finagling that had to be done to try to explain away some of the stuff that we see with Jedi and with uh, Obi-Wan telling the story of Anakin back in the uh, classic trilogy versus what we get in the prequel trilogy. When I met him, he was already a great pilot. We'll try spinning! That's a good trick! That makes him a great pilot. He was a good pod racer. But he was already a great pilot? Yeah, you gotta kind of finagle that just a little bit to make that work. Um, as for the timing of Duke's Fall, Plagueis's le uh, Darth Plagueis' Legends, therefore irrelevant. Again, that's a Lucas thing that was used by the Darth Plagueis novel, not something that Lucino came up with by himself. Um, I think we pretty much hit all of, of that one, uh, all of the Lost well, One stuff. 
Well, what's funny too is is it points out the fact that Lucas tends to ignore things, including his own films, which goes into that aspect that I've said. You know, he's been telling the story for a long time, and when you set a story down and pick it up, you forget those little subtle nuances. You, you just go for the key plot points and those little tiny errors, and that's what they are is an error, but that they don't have to be a break the movie error. But they're the kind of things that you know you you find in fandom, and you either have fun with it or it drives you nuts. I mean, it, one of those is Han shot first. That brings us into the voices slash destiny slash sacrifice section here. There's quite a few, so we'll do them kind of in groups here. Um, he starts out with Yoda doesn't learn about the future. Always in motion it is. What he does learn is that keeping identity after death seems to be important for the Jedi's survival. That was his first point. Second point. Yoda revealed to Obi-Wan about communing with Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan's Force Ghost guided Luke to Yoda and guided Luke to the Death Star. He couldn't have done that if he was dead. The Force was telling Yoda that retaining identity after death was important for the survival of the Jedi, and it turned out to be true. Then, three, the priestesses used the phrase, what your science calls midichlorians. That adds a bit of mysticism. There aren't any conflicts, and you didn't specify any. You just said there were some. Then, four, no one said Qui-Gon contacted the priestesses before he died. They likely chose him after he died or as he died. Let's cut there. Can I take this group first? Yeah. Again, rolling back, no one said Qui-Gon contacted the priestesses before he died. Uh, they likely chose him after he died. Okay, then who did Qui-Gon learn from? Because Lucas said in the commentaries the reason why Qui-Gon can only be heard as a voice and hence needs to be able to pass on new teachings and stuff that he's learned in the Force to Yoda to allow Yoda to retain his identity as a Force ghost, etc., etc., is because Qui-Gon's training in that was incomplete before he died. So either the priestesses taught him that before he died, or he learned it somehow from another source and then got found by the priestesses afterwards. Like, oh, hey, here's a guy who was training in what we were trying to teach people, so maybe we'll bring him into this. Well, did Lucas say, like, legitimately before he died? or Because I recall it being that the training was incomplete. Which... Well, it, well what, what Lucas said was that, that Qui-Gon dies, and because he didn't have all the training that he needed to be able to retain himself as a Force ghost, that's why he only shows up as a voice. So okay. either way, I've he's saying that there was it... training before death. See, I, I've always looked at it, I, I've been one of those that, that ponder, you know, him being trained after he died, and I've kind of thought, you know, maybe that that was what hindered the training, that he had already left his physical shell, and therefore he'd already lost something he couldn't gain back, something that Yoda still had that, given time, Yoda could train while alive and be able to do. But but again, it takes a lot of, of going out on a branch with a lot of little tiny things to come to that conclusion for me. The thing about the priestesses using the phrase what your science calls midichlorians adding a bit of mysticism, yes it does. It says there aren't any conflicts, you didn't specify any, you just said there were some. I don't remember ever either having either of us, at least not me, saying that there was a conflict with the idea of the midichlorians. In fact, those episodes added to our understanding of the midichlorians with the idea of them being part of living beings, how a person who dies, you know, the midichlorians and everything else goes back into the force, how there's that link between the living force and the cosmic force and so on. So I don't know what he's getting at with that one. That was me. That was me. I, I, I am confused by it. It still kind of doesn't quite mesh with what I recall and remember. And I, I plainly full on put that on Legends. Uh, there's been, I mean, Force Philosophy has been the keystone of my fandom for the first, I would say, eight years of when I got into fandom online. Um, 
I was in the Force Philosophy thread on the official forum boards all the way up into version 4, uh, and that's 10,000 pages worth of postings before a new one gets started. So when it comes to Force Philosophy, I have gone around and around with different concepts, all sorts of stuff. So for me, I, I still have a hard time jiving what we got in voices with the metachlorines and stuff with what i knew before it, it just there's something about when it kicks on and they start explaining it and stuff i just there's like a droning in my head that, that doesn't allow me to focus on what's being said i just cannot line it up it's like having a puzzle like a traditional puzzle but when you're going to put the last five pieces in they're all circles and you're like wait this ain't right uh, so, so yeah, that, that's probably me because I felt like it didn't jive up. I felt like it added more confusion than, than answers to me. Those answers confused me more, but again, that's because I was applying other things to it than I probably should have been. And the first two you mentioned about the idea that Yoda isn't supposed to learn about the future. He's supposed to be learning what is necessary to save the Jedi order. Um, that's not, never said anywhere within the films. That is something that uh, was talked about by Filoni and the group, though, when talking about the purpose of the episodes. So in that sense, that fits. But that's also a cop-out to say, well, he wasn't supposed to learn anything about the future. Nothing that he learned about all those visions, well, none of that means anything. As long as he learns how he can save the Jedi after death by making a Force ghost, well, then nothing else matters. That's a cop-out. That's like me going through, if I'm a police officer, and I'm investigating someone's financial records. Let's say I'm a, a forensic accountant with the police force. And I'm investigating somebody's records to see if maybe they hired a hitman or something. And in the process of doing that, I start to realize, holy crap, I think this guy is trafficking in cocaine and doing some human trafficking of sending people who are coming to the United States illegally, kidnapping them, and then selling them into other countries as slaves, especially women and children. Now... I may not have the proof I need to immediately arrest them on those other charges, and the case I'm working on is the one about hiring a hitman. But I'm sure as hell, if I am a responsible individual, not going to just take that other information that's that was there that provided a suggestion of further malfeasance, especially stuff that could wind up killing other people, like, say, a battle between clones and Jedi in Order 66. I'm not going to take that and say, well, since I was only looking for the stuff about the hitman, I'm just going to shove this back in a drawer and pretend it doesn't exist. You have a responsibility as a person in an authority position with information about possible malfeasance, possible dangers, to take that information and do something with it. Even if it's something as simple as going to another officer or going to another person and saying, you know, I found some other stuff within this. Maybe this ought to be looked into by someone who can look into it more fully than I can. Or something. Something other than simply assuming, well, because I've learned what I needed to learn of this one thing, none of that other stuff matters, and the fact that I did nothing with, with it matters to no one. Even if it's always in motion is the future, there may be infinite possibilities in terms of universes out there, but in one given timeline, it's an infinite number of possibilities stemming from one source. It's not like all of a sudden the next day Yoda will cease to have ever existed. He still exists, so his actions still are part of forming that possible future. He can at least try to steer things away from things, or if nothing else, just be a little more cautious. Like, I saw this as a possible future, maybe I should keep an eye out for any possible hints that that future may be coming true. Um, but we don't get any indication of anything like that. Um, well, does also that kind of assumes that we're assuming that the vision is a future vision. I mean, it, it could just be a vision that has no relevance whatsoever. I mean, I think about the fact that the Jedi themselves at this time frame 
are kind of reluctant to trust visions because sometimes visions can be wrong. Uh, hence, you know, to throw in that always in motion is the future. I mean, what you see today not necessarily mean what you're going to get tomorrow. And, you know, Yoda may just as easily have been seeing other events, you know, playing out. It didn't necessarily have to be the, the future. I mean, I, a far twisted outlook could be, I mean, what if there was another of Yoda's species that happens to be a Jedi out there? <laughs> I, just, I think it would have been one of those things where, and it's always tricky to do this in Star Wars. If you do something that's a vision, the audience is going to assume that what they are seeing is what the character is seeing. And I think maybe that's part of what the issue is here. They want to do something very metaphysical so that Yoda would fight this being, but because we would see the character of Sidious with his hood up being the one fighting, for instance, you know, what do you do with that? Do you just make it so his face doesn't exist within the character model? Do you use an existing character model? But if you do use the existing character model, then we're thinking, wow, Yoda should have recognized, you know, Sidious's chin or something, you know? It's that whole thing of the, the, the line being drawn between a metaphysical concept of a dream or a vision versus the fact that in order to put that on screen, they gotta represent it somehow, which means character models, and character models eventually lead to the idea of something is set somewhat concretely visually when it may not be meant to be so. Uh, again, another one of those storytelling issues that you get when you're dealing with anything that is really beyond audio or text, really. I mean, as soon as you do something visual, you've got a visual representation to go with it. Um, continuing on from that same one, uh, numbering these again, starting back from scratch here to make uh, sense of it all. Uh, also, in The Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan tells Qui-Gon he'd be on the Council if he would follow the Code, and only Qui-Gon talks of the Living Force. This indicates he did talk to others about his philosophy, but wasn't listened to. It didn't need to be on screen. Uh, two, of course Yoda has to go through trials. The priestesses don't want to waste this valuable lesson on a loser. This also aligns with standard mythical tales. In this myth, the priestesses appear to be a gatekeeper of sorts. And then three... Having R2-D2 and Yoda remember what happened doesn't cause issues. I don't know why you think it does. R2-D2 can keep secrets very well, and he didn't see a lot of what happened. Uh, okay, then, uh, Mark, why don't you go ahead and tackle these first. Well, Qui-Gon bringing up the Living Force, uh, you know, that was something they didn't have to bring in. I always felt that was something that George was trying to, you know, open our, our eyes to, that there was more to the Force than uh, what we originally thought. Um, I remember when that came out, that was whole, there was whole the living force, the unifying force. And I, I found it kind of odd though, that they decided to go with, with the cosmic force because in the force philosophy columns, there was a, a contingent of people that would talk about the greater force. And another word they would use for it was the cosmic force. And that was basically, if you looked at a quarter and each side of the quarter was the light and the dark side. And the edge of the quarter that went around it was the living force. The entire quarter itself was the cosmic force. Uh, and, and so it was, it was interesting to see that Lucas used that word going forward. Because it was like, oh, wow. You know, some little fandom terms kind of popping up here. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those things they didn't need to bring in. There was a lot on the, the side of the force that when the prequels broached the force, there was a lot of stuff they brought to the table that could have easily been left mysterious, left out, uh, left to the fans' own interpretation of how to go. I think some of the details we got didn't help make it mesh well. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think it could work for some people, but for me it didn't. Um, I think it added too much details and, and not all of them lined up. Uh, Yoda being tested, though, I actually have to agree. I really think that that was what it came down to, was that even though Qui-Gon vouched for the little green guy, he had to prove himself and prove that he had the midichlorians, so to speak, to, you know, rise to the challenge. 
But that, I guess, gets to something you had said earlier, though, about him being a Force ghost. Unless they plan on utilizing Yoda in a Force ghost in some way, the whole training of Yoda to learn how to be a Force ghost, to me, is pointless. Because never did he use that for anything critical in Luke's training. Not that I, I mean, nothing's jumping to my mind right now while we're recording this, that Yoda as a Force ghost or a voice told Luke, and it saved Luke's butt. Uh, but... I'm open to the fact that they could do that later, and I'm kind of hoping they do because, to me, that was the whole purpose of that. You threw that in there so we could see a Force Ghost Yoda in the next movies. I That's where I'm going with that. Um, R2-D2, though? I, I think I got to disagree. I mean, I, I'm one. I just couldn't see R2 holding that back. Um you know, yeah, in Legends, we had iJedi where Whistler had something like that where he was waiting for the right code phrase before he would unlook something like that and, and tell. But there's no scenes or anything like that where we're told like Bale or Yoda or, or Kenobi told R2, hey, you know, protocol 025, you can't let anyone know about any of this stuff that happened before. I mean, there's nothing like that. So I, I have a hard time as as to why he would withhold that. But at the same time, he is a machine and machines are just computers. And if you don't ask a specific question, you're not going to get that answer. So there's that side of, well, maybe he just never decided to freely throw that up there. and No situation came that made him compute that he needed to. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I usually do. Let's see. I'm not sure where the disagreement is on the idea that Qui-Gon had disagreements with the Council prior to uh, the Phantom Menace, hence him not being on the Council. That that he had a different philosophy as far as the way to live life as a Jedi. I'm not seeing where any contradiction exists there. Um, let's see. So, is that bitching about nothing? No? No? Don't think so? Um, Yoda having to go through the trials. You're missing the point, John. It's not, of course Yoda had to go through the trials because they didn't want to teach somebody who wasn't worthy of it. Yeah, of course. That's not the issue. The issue is about Qui-Gon. Either Qui-Gon knows how Yoda can become a Force ghost. Or he doesn't. At the beginning, he says he doesn't. His training was incomplete. That's why Yoda's got to go on this journey to meet the priestesses who then find him worthy, but then assign Qui-Gon, who supposedly doesn't know how to do it, to teach Yoda how to do it. So either Qui-Gon knew at the beginning and lied about it, and then of course then knows at the end, or Qui-Gon didn't know at the beginning and somehow is told by the end, so then he can teach Yoda, so it's kind of like, oh, the buddy that you recommended has apparently wound up being a found capable, so here's your signing bonus to go along with that. Now that he's tacked on, we'll teach you the last little bit so you can be the one to go teach him. Um, or, it's an inconsistency, and he somehow knows at the be or doesn't know at the beginning, knows at the end, and we aren't to assume he either learned or was lying. In that case, it's just bad storytelling because the beginning and the end of the story do not make sense with each other. So we call bad continuity in terms of filmmaking and storytelling, not continuity in terms of big, sprawling timeline universe, but just is what we've got is this story flowing into each other correctly. doesn't make logical sense. Um, sword in left hand, sword in right hand, sword in left hand, sword on the foot. <laughs> what about Boba Fett's little like thing on the top of his helmet? It switches well, sides. Um, when I, mean, I see that... When I see that scene, though, I mean, I really think Qui-Gon, I don't think he was able to do the ability. I think he knew the technique and was able to train it, but I don't think he was able to do it. 
but I think he was doing the test. I really think that they were testing Yoda, and then once Yoda passed the test, it was like, okay, now you can train him what you know. But I think, I think again, that, that death on Qui-Gon, I think because he'd already left his physical shell, I, I think that's what it came down to. That was the final piece of his training, and when he learned that, I think he, I think he learned it after death. I think that's where that came in. But so again, you're, t- you're taking the you're taking the he's full of crap at the beginning thing, and he's trying to divert Yoda, and yeah. even though he can train him, is waiting for Yoda to be found worthy, which yeah, makes sense, exactly. but would have been nice to see on screen instead of having it be contradictory. And that's um, and that's the issue is that if they'd have put that on the screen, we weren't having to infer so much, and it would be more simple. And then we've got uh, having Yoda and R two D two remember what happened uh, doesn't cause issues. Don't know why you think it does. Archie can keep secrets very well, and he didn't see a lot of what happened. Okay, well, he saw the fact that he went to Dagobah. We know that he knows Yoda. We know that he knew Vader. We know that he knows Obi-Wan and so forth. This isn't just a thing with Clone Wars. This is yet another of these ongoing issues. It's become kind of a running joke when it comes to the Star Wars prequels in relation to the classic trilogy or the Clone Wars in relation to the classic trilogy, which is, wow, R2-D2 saw a lot of stuff and never got his mind wiped, so why didn't he say, hey, Yoda, what's up, bro? We saw you a long time ago. It's good to be back or something like that. Um, why doesn't uh, Obi-Wan, which says, I never remember owning a droid. Really? Really? Well, you didn't own R2-D2, but he's called R2-D2 and he's sitting right the hell in front of you. Um, and apparently he was sent by Leia, and you know there's that Skywalker connection thing apparently, so why don't you recognize R2-D2? Maybe not C-3PO, but he was still golden the last time you saw him. Um, they just write that off as, well, there's so many droids that look the same, maybe not having the same numbers, but so many that look the same that, hey, you know, he just wouldn't recognize them. Or maybe the, the heat of the desert has melted his brain some. It's this general concept that, as Mark said, Lucas generally did not take into consideration his own films sometimes when creating other stories. He has a tendency to say something in one, change his mind on what he wants to do, say something different in something else, and then leave it up to others to have to interpret it, which legends tended to do. There's certainly nothing on screen ever where Luke is on his way to Dagobah, and he talks about Dagobah, and they're down there looking for Yoda... And they spot Yoda where R2-D2 speaks up at all, like, oh yeah, Dagobah, I know where that is. Or, you're looking for Yoda? I think I know generally uh, where he might be because of where we were last time. Or even, hey look, Yoda's stealing our food and crap. He's pretending he's not really Yoda. Gee, maybe R2-D2 should say, you know, uh, this is Yoda. Or do something other than just seeing as, other than just seeming as if he's just as confused as Luke is. Well, I mean, technically, he wasn't giving Yoda the food bar. Admit it! Admit you're the Jedi Master! <laughs> but, uh, again, Legends, though, they give us uh, Whistler, who was an R2-D2 unit. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that that was one of those plots that, like, if all droids were supposed to be, you know, C-3PO-5874452, and there's so many C-3PO droids out there in R2 units that, you know, he just couldn't possibly bother with tracking Anakin's R2 unit. There's 50,000 of them out there. It'd be like, okay, well, whose Xbox is this? Uh, well, let's see. What's it say on it? <laughs> and then uh, last handful, we can do maybe three and three. Here he's got six more. Uh, yes, there's quite a few of these bullet pointed. So far, not really seeing a lot that are particularly clearly valid. Uh, next one here. 
Uh, Yoda and the Jedi aren't stupid. They don't know everything you know. The dark side is rising. It is clouding their judgment and weakening their powers. Yoda tells you directly they can't reject the clone army now. It's too late. And they can't make the Sith connection public. That would cause chaos. They have no choice, as Yoda explained. Yoda is following the guidance of the Force and maybe the priestesses. This is telling him what he should do. Meditate and learn from Qui-Gon. Two, Yoda showed pride and arrogance right before meeting his dark side. This was in the discussion with the priestesses. And three, you say the priestess didn't teach Yoda anything, but I disagree. First, they tested him. The priestesses guided him through those trials, teaching along the way. Also, it's apparent from the story structure that the priestesses are the ones in control. Qui-Gon may be the voice that Yoda communes with, but it's clear the priestesses would not allow Qui-Gon to help with Yoda's training unless he passed the trials. Why this way? It's a mystery. Perhaps because it's the priestess' way of allowing the teaching to continue without having to be directly involved. They were somewhat reluctant to be involved in the first place. It's a good thing for the story to have a bit of mystery. Yeah, the priestesses are a mystery, I, as are the ones from Mortis. Uh, but I don't know how much I like just creating this group of individuals, giving them this godlike ability, having them able to trivialize the force and use the force in ways no one else is and then just leave it as a mystery i mean it's like that's two mysteries in one i, I don't know how i feel about that and, and and you know as i mentioned with an earlier you know feedback letter here i mean that that just doesn't sit well with me and i mean i'm just gonna have to chalk it up to one of those you know have to agree to disagree is because obviously i see things a little differently in this regard because of legends uh and as much as i'm trying to let all that stuff go and just you know take it as you know, we just got the films and the Clone Wars. I still don't see it all jiving that well. Uh, and sometimes the mysteries are better left being the mystery they were before. Um, I think by adding the details they did, it just adds a level of confusion. And I, uh, to me, that kind of hurts the mystery. It taints it a little. Yeah, mystery works if mystery is mystery. Mystery as contradictions, that's not much. I mean, that's like, like the whole... Uh, uh, well, here's something here, like this character got uh, his right arm chopped off in this scene, but then later we see him and it's his left arm that he's lost. Oh, well, the Force moves in mysterious ways. Bullcrap. They couldn't tell the story with its own internal continuity making sense. Um, that's kind of what we've got here. There is some mystery, but there's a difference between adding mystery to a story and simply not telling a story in a consistent, clear, logical fashion. Um, so Yoda and the Jedi aren't stupid. They don't know everything that we know. Well, they sure know a heck of a lot more now thanks to Season 6 than they knew before, and yet they don't act on it. Um, the dark side is rising. Shouldn't they then be more wary? It's clouding their judgment and weakening their powers. Oh, it's definitely clouding their judgment, apparently, because they make some stupid decisions. Um, Yoda says they can't reject the clone army now. It's too late. They can't make the Sith connection public. No one's saying they should reject the clone army. No one's saying they should make the Sith connection public. But shouldn't they be more wary of the clone army after the events of the Order 66 arc, after the events uh, of the Sifo-Dyas voices, etc., etc. stuff that we got in that last arc? Shouldn't they be more concerned about the clones? And now we just have another vision with Yoda that deals with clones killing Jedi and battling Jedi that should make them even more wary. It's not about saying... You know, oh, well, we should just get rid of the clones because we saw this vision of Order 66. It's, gee, now that I've seen this vision of a possible future that I never really thought because it seemed like the clones were on our side, maybe I should be careful about what's going on and perhaps look into this just a little bit. Again, 
If I'm looking for evidence of someone hiring a hitman, and I find evidence of drug and human trafficking, I shouldn't ignore the drug and human trafficking possibility simply because all I was looking for was the information about the hitman. Um, doesn't work like that unless you've got a search warrant that's very specific. Um, and Yoda doesn't exactly go into this with a search warrant. I got a question, though. Do you think, though, maybe the Jedi should have just walked away? I mean, you know, one response I have is, you know, they're surrounded by chaos, so implicating Palpatine as a Sith couldn't hurt by adding a little more chaos to it, but the Sith are now, a, a, a in a sense, seen as a religion or, or an order that's so lost that, that nobody even knows what they are, so should the Jedi then kind of take the same route and just have walked away? You know, I mean, we're, we're going to die, we're going to lose if we do this, should we not just walk away, preserve ourselves, and come back at the time when the galaxy needs us again? See, I would say no, because they feel a duty to protect life. If they feel a duty to try to stop the Sith from being able to take over in the first place. So it's kind of those, if they do walk away, the Sith manage to take over the galaxy. So in a sense, they're abandoning their duty in that sense. I mean, they may be able to abandon the war, but abandoning the war abandons the duty, even though they weren't meant to be, you know, like, say, you know, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. They weren't meant to be yeah. soldiers, but they do feel a responsibility to stop the Sith from coming into power. Again, it's a matter of uh, just just perception, I guess. I guess Yoda case. and Obi-Wan both do that in the end. <laughs> in a sense, yeah, they finally say, oh, well, screw it, we lost, and we're going to go into hiding and wait. Um, let's see, Yoda showing pride and arrogance right before meeting his dark side. Yeah, he shows a tiny bit in these episodes, but that's never really been the guiding force, no pun intended, behind Yoda's character and any character flaws that he may have. Uh, if you're going to have one of the trials be face your great inner demon, to have it be hubris with Yoda doesn't seem to really fit particularly well. Again, unless it's the idea that he had that at times, though not very often, but maybe in his youth he thought he'd beaten it, but he needs a reminder that it is always with him, which is something in the wording of what we get in the episode that suggests that maybe this was something that sort of he felt like he got rid of, but now he's having to face it again when they talk about things being part of us. Um, as for the priest is not teaching Yoda anything. Uh, they test him and teach him about the tests and talk a little bit about the nature of the Force along the way. But they themselves are not teaching him how to retain his essence in the Force. That is going to be up to Qui-Gon. And yes, hey, you can leave some mystery, and it would make sense to say, Qui-Gon, you can't teach him yet. He's got to go through the trials. Now you can teach him when it's done. You can teach him what we taught you so you can pass it on. But there is never a moment that clarifies that. Because at the beginning, he can't. We never learned that he lied in saying that he can't, so he did know. We never also find out anything within the episode at the end when they hand over the teaching to Qui-Gon, which would make sense if they've taught Qui-Gon, that ever says that Qui-Gon mystically now all of a sudden knows what he needs to know to teach. They could have changed a line or two or left a line out, and it would have been consistent. Instead, the beginning and the end, the bookends of this story, do not mesh. You have to make up rationalizations of how it fits together because the storytelling itself didn't do it. Just like Dooku Captured and Gungan General, right? They're not drugged. They stopped themselves from getting drugged. But wait, beginning of the next episode, they're drugged and in captivity. What the hell happened? They had to make a webcomic to explain it. Sadly, that's out of continuity now, too. All right, let's move on to the last three uh, from his, and then we'll probably call it a day for this episode and then pick up with another feedback episode next time to go through the rest of it. Um, let's see. Number one. This arc marked the beginning of Yoda's lessons from Qui-Gon, not the end. It's okay he hasn't radically changed in Revenge of the Sith, because those lessons are still ongoing. And for all we know, those lessons don't really start in earnest until after the catastrophe of Revenge of the Sith. 
Yoda already told you they are stuck fighting out the remainder of the Clone Wars. They don't have a choice because Palpatine has them in a bind. Two, the official Clone Wars guide on StarWars.com, which you should read, how many times did I reference that as we were going through here? Says, as the priestess disappears in a glow of light, Yoda sees the future, including the moment of his death and his own last words. Again, these visions of the future are always in motion. You keep making the mistake that Yoda should know what you know. He doesn't. And then three, the final episode made it clear that Yoda was trying to find out who Sidious was in his vision by taking the cloak off, but he failed. It is very clear that Sidious's identity is hidden in that vision. It's myth and metaphor. You take it too literally. If I can hit this first, because there's not really a whole lot to say about this, given that we've already kind of hit these. Um, you may file when ready. Again, on that third one, it's again, it's that question of how much should we take at face value. They have to use character models somehow in order to make Sidious show up. Uh, so is Yoda seeing the chin and hearing the voice or not? Uh, I'm, I could buy into the idea that it's all meant to be myth and metaphor because that is a vision. But the way that they put it together, if, if they had done, I mean, if they'd simply just taken the cloak and moved the cloak further ahead on his face so we don't see any of his face underneath, so it really did seem like Yoda wasn't able to see inside the cloak, that would have made more sense. But it would have cost more money because they'd have to do a different character model for it, like they did with Dooku with his uh, uh, different clothes in that episode. As for the episode guides, yes, read the episode guides. But again, they, they're talking about, well, Yoda sees the future. And he sees the moment of his own death and his own last words. But hey, it's always in motion. Okay, again, something is always in motion, but he's got this hint of this. What? So always in motion is the future when it comes to there is another Skywalker. So maybe there'll be another Skywalker, maybe there won't be. But again, if that's what he's hearing as a possible future, and it's important enough, that as he leaves the priestesses and everything, that's the last thing he sees and hears, and we don't see him see his own death. It just says it in the episode guide. Uh, but he hears that line, then uh, maybe it's something he should look into. Golly gee, the priestesses who apparently know all this stuff have just basically tapped me on their shoulder and said, Psst, by the way, there's another Skywalker out there. Even if you don't know what this means, look it up. Right? And he does nothing about it, it would seem. Um, and of course... He, of course, then finds out what that means when Revenge of the Sith comes around. As for this being the beginning of Yoda's lessons from Qui-Gon, not the end, he could change in those intervening years. Absolutely, he could change in those intervening years. However, what we are told is that this episode is supposed to explain, in what we're told in the episode guide, as he points out, maybe you should read it. Oh, yes. Um, he did like we did. Except I wasn't going to be condescending and assume that you didn't. Um, the episode guide itself talks about how this is supposed to explain his change between what we get here in the Clone Wars with what we get in The Empire Strikes Back. But if it is an ongoing process of instruction and he will change over time, then the episode did not fulfill its purpose. Because if this is supposed to show that change, it either did or it didn't. And if it did, which I would say it did because of the end of the episode then it doesn't explain why he is still his Attack of the Clones and Clone Wars type self philosophically in Episode 3 when he should have learned his lesson back in these episodes. If it's not, then he's got a lot longer to go through a character development to get to Empire Strikes Back, which may make more sense in what we see at certain points of the episode, but it means the episode didn't fulfill its purpose because this is the one that was supposed to change him, not begin the process of change, but explain it away. And it didn't entirely do so. 
Yoda knows a few things. He knows the clones were ordered by sifo They know that the Sith provided the template for the clone army. They know that there's something going on inside the clones that caused them to trigger to go and kill Jedi. Although that one was kind of shown to be a defect. You know, they did a good job on that on Palpatine's side of keeping some plausible deniability there. But another Skywalker, that was like a huge clue. The fact that like Yoda didn't do much with that too is, is another one of those odd things. Unless, you know... He tapped old Kenobi on the shoulder and said, hey, watch uh, Anakin and see if he's been fooling around. Um, but he also knows, too, that the Sith are in a high position within the Senate. So there, there were a lot of things that was like, man, there should be a lot of alarm bells going off and they just choose to cover it up, which gets back to that aspect of, you know, you're already in a bad position. You know, you're in a bad position. What's it going to hurt by being the flag waver? You know, I mean, call it out. You know, you're pretty sure that I mean, I, I don't know. I've got the feeling from the way Sidious and, and, and Yoda interact that Yoda has a feeling that Palpatine is withholding things purposely. And I get the feeling that either he thinks Yoda or that Yoda thinks that Palpatine's either a tool for the Sith or a prime suspect for the Sith themselves. Uh, and which get back to that vision. I mean, how can you get that close and not recognize that jaw? I mean, come on, Yoda. I don't know. Um, the, the beginning of Yoda's training, though, I mean, I, I'll give you that. I mean, it is his, the beginning in the aspects of, you know, where he, is he going to go from there? But I, I'm with you, Nathan. I, I have a hard time with, with the way it works as the end pieces. I mean, a lot of, of the, the guides and stuff, to me, they're all aimed at, at new fans, you know, the casual fans that know nothing about Star Wars, that only know the original trilogy, prequel trilogy, and they want to know how those two fit together. So something like that is perfect for a fan like that. But it doesn't give any answers to fans like us that, that pay attention to the bigger picture. Um, yeah, moving forward into a, a story group canon, that issue will disappear in time. Uh, but as long as you have the Clone Wars and it falls in both canons, you're always going to have fans that are fans of the EU, fans of Legends, that are still working on how to make that chaotic shift that eventually became its own canon, how to make it work with what was existing before. Because, you know, as we've seen with Lucas doing with his own writings... He doesn't care what came before. It's what happens now. And luckily, going forward with the story group, they care about what came first. And so I, I, I'm really, really excited to see where the story group canon is eventually going to go. Uh, but right now, it's still that, well, what are they going to bring over stage of things? You know, I mean, I I, I just seen the, the rumor that uh, that Daisy uh, Ryder got a named Jaina Solo. That's still a rumor. It's on IDBM, but I, I got excited about it. I was like, oh, Jaina made the jump, you know. But we still don't know how much of things are going to come over. I mean, we know Hydra Spanners are going to come over, but, you know, what about Calf? What about, you know, Chocolate? Things like that. I mean, I, I believe Chocolate made the jump somehow, but I don't know about Calf. <laughs> These little things matter, man. <laughs> Maybe not that much. Yeah, so, and thanks for writing in, John. Do not agree with you on a lot of stuff. Um... But it's, again, that's kind of the nature of what this is. If, if you talk about us bitching about nothing and trying to pick things apart, that's basically what you were just going through and doing. The same thing we were, trying to pick things apart. And that's the nature of looking at something critically. It's the nature of doing a critique versus just going along for the ride of something. Uh, in a sense, neither we nor John here, uh, and a lot of fans who are critical of the same arc, um, None of us are willing to do what Yoda and the Jedi seem to have done thanks to this arc, which is simply, or well, thanks to all of season six, 
which is simply, don't worry, ignore the problems, they'll go away. Surely, nothing bad could happen. Instead, we take the time to pick it apart, um, and that will, of course, always lead to a little bit of a, a consternation on one side or the other here. So I think we pretty much are right at about uh, probably an hour now if you take out all the different flubs of mine. So, Mark, figure we should wrap this one up and move on to a second feedback episode this time? That's right. And if I'm able to edit it, I will get them out as quick as possible. We won't spread these out. Uh, I'm liking kind of closing that gap on the Star Wars report. I think they're like 135. <laughs> We're at 130. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can also email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book like Razor's Edge, within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And the disagreeable Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll be able to fit the rest of the feedback into one episode. I think we can, but we'll see or that the story group canon will leave Nathan feeling happy with everything Star Wars moving forward. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on your own Facebook page at Twitter. <laughs> God, I just woke up. I can't say it right, mother. I know. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a lot to edit already. I can tell. You know, rumor has it they're gonna be seeding episode six. Episode six.
Rebels would make the perfect bridge. I mean, grab a character uh. too. <laughs> Holy sh! I didn't realize that I wasn't muted. My bad. <laughs> Holy sh! I'm sitting here like, like I'm clicking through the email scene with Doreen next, and then just wah, and then all I hear you laughing. I'm like, uh oh, the uh, mute button didn't work. That's okay. That was great. I'm like, apparently we got a blooper now.